Hi there, it's Dan from the Still Parents podcast. We will be back with Series 4 starting on Sunday, February the 6th from our studios on Mill Street in Leamington Spa at 8pm. We hope you can join us for that. Of course, if you can't make it for our live ones, you can listen back to any of the podcasts we've done from all of our series so far whenever you like through your podcast provider so just as we have done for series one and two uh, we're going to get stuck in and just take a look back at some of the moments that stood out in series three if you would like to feature on the podcast if you would like to come on and say a few words however few or however many you want you are more than welcome all you need to do is get in touch with us here at the lily may foundation Of course, we understand that not everyone will physically want to come onto the show themselves, but we do appreciate each and every one of you for taking the time to to listen to the episodes that we've put out so far. And we really hope that they've helped. Even if you'd like to reach out uh, for a private one-to-one, you can do so once again. Just get in touch through the Lily May Foundation pages. So let's have a look back now at some of the things which took place in Series 3 of the Still Parents podcast. On Series 3, we celebrated a couple of firsts on the Still Parents podcasts. One of them was being in a studio, all sat together in the same room for the first time, and also having our first female guest, a very special guest, because it was Amy Jackson, of course, wife of Ryan. And with so many people who listen to this podcast knowing and having met Amy and Ryan and being in touch with the Lily Mae Foundation, we thought it was a good opportunity for them to share their story. And if you are watching, you probably have already noticed that there's an elephant in the room. Um, (laughs) She's not really an elephant. This is our first female guest that we've had on. So it's Amy Jackson, wife of Ryan Jackson from the Lily Mae Foundation. So we thought we were having a look at some of the the, the stats and the figures for the podcast. And obviously it's uh, it's from a male perspective. And this is but actually there's. There's a higher percentage of females listening to the podcast than there are guys. I think it's about 60, 40 percent. So we thought we'd we get Amy on. It would be good uh, tonight to to maybe delve in a little bit deeper with what happened with Ryan and Amy's story uh, with with Lily May. Uh, obviously, as we're coming to the end of the third series, and we've had some fantastic guests on. And if it wasn't for the grief that you've been through and, and with it, we wouldn't be sat here doing this podcast. So I think it would be a good opportunity for people who've, who've been with us since the start or maybe they're just joining along now just to maybe hear uh, some more from you and also get your your perspective on things, too. So h- how are you, first of all, Amy? Are you OK? I think uh, I'm, uh, I've got. This is I, I've known Amy about five years now. This is the first time I've seen Amy nervous. And <laughs> <laughs> It'll be short lived. I am loving it. Yeah. I'm assuming most people who, who listen and watch this will have met you and, and will know about your story and, and how the charity became to be and, and everything that happened. But um, if it's OK with you, could you talk us through in the same way that we have had with the other guests that have been on um, as much as you're comfortable with with exactly your, your story? Go on, boss. Go on, boss. I like you. Because I thought we'd use the yeah. Well, as I said earlier, while I was at Amy's here, because it's quite a different perspective that we can get tonight. Yeah. So, yeah. I think if you start and do it from your point of view, and then I can um, jump in. So yeah, it, well, it's the fifth of February two thousand and ten. I had come home from work. Um, I was teaching at the time, and uh, Amy had told me that she hadn't really felt many movements throughout the day. So we did pretty much everything that the midwives sort of tell you to do at that time if, if you know baby's a little bit quiet so cold glass of water put her feet up um she had been quite busy throughout the day which is one of the reasons why she said that she really hadn't hadn't really paid much attention in, in regard to the fact that the movements had slowed down 
um, and nothing happened after the the cold glass of water. So we just sort of thought, well, we'll we'll phone up the um, phone up the hospital. Yeah. Um, they invited us in for a scan, which was pretty routine. Prior to that, we'd had growth scans anyway, and, and been discharged from that. Um, we dropped Alfie, who was three at the time, off at his grandparents' house and told uh, Amy's mum and dad, yeah, we'll be back in 25 minutes, half hour, mm. something like that. Went into the hospital, so it was probably, what was it, about six, six-ish, half six on the evening. Went into the labour ward, um, went into a side room, midwife came in with a portable scanner, put Amy on the bed, and I think that when... I saw the midwife's face when she was um, scanning Amy. I thought something wasn't right, but didn't really think too much of it at that point. Um, and I think I'd, I'm not sure if Amy was oblivious or anything like I that. I was too worried about my Ugg boots. Yeah, and I think she was scared it about was, it. It was snowing and I'd left my Ugg boots somewhere. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Isn't it ridiculous? I think it was just we were naivety yeah, as well. Oblivious. Yeah. We were completely oblivious to what potentially yeah. was going to be told to us. Um, the midwife then said, I need to get another scanner. This is quite an old sca- uh, old scanner, so I'm going to take you into a side room. And when we walked into the side room, there was a consultant and a bereavement midwife. And Claire won't mind us saying it was Claire, our, our actual bereavement midwife. But even to this day, Claire still says she wasn't there for because they knew that we'd lost Lily. Um, I'd still question her about that, but <laughs> they were doing an audit. And when we when we actually went in, the consultant scanned Amy, and I, I vaguely remember her saying something along the lines of, no, I'm not going to tell the lady just yet. And I think then we pressured her to to tell us, and then she told us that there was no heartbeat and that, and that Lily had died. At that point, we didn't know if it was a girl or a boy, so we'd asked, um, and they said they thought it was a girl. The scream from Amy was haunting. It was a, it was a a really haunting scream, um, and the midwife Claire just well, I don't really remember to be honest. I it was um, extremely surreal. Mm. We were then taken out of the room into another room where Claire spoke to us about the sort of process and what was going to happen then and that we would have to go home and then come back in two days time which at the time just didn't seem right yeah did not seem right at all it was more of a get get the baby out sort of thing you lost your mind early on you punched the wall on the way out that's all i remember is being led to another room and you punching the wall and being really angry and just asking for a c-section because i'd had a c-section previously you just wanted me to have a C-section, have it over and done with. Just, yeah. They said that it wasn't a good idea no. to have a C-section, didn't they? For, yeah. A, for future pregnancies. Yeah. Okay. And in hindsight, now, definitely it was the right idea. I was about to, to ask, yeah. you know, was that, because obviously the emotions yeah. at the time. I think because it was so surreal and so quick and yeah. you just, if I'd literally gone in that night and had a section mm. and had a whipped out and it was over and done, it would have been even more surreal than, than it already was. Um, so yeah, in hindsight, it was the best yeah. thing to do, but at the time, living through that kind of weekend, knowing that your baby wasn't living inside yeah. you and having to do like yeah. I went to Touchwood to buy clothes for her and loads of weird things. It was just the during weirdest. that during that weekend. Yeah, because yeah. we hadn't got any clothes because we didn't know she was a girl, right. so I wanted okay. to go and buy okay. a girly outfit. But even so, then, we still brought. Um, if, 
if I remember right, we brought boy uh, baby grower as well, as just well. in case yeah. they'd got it wrong. Right. Um, yeah, and being in, do you remember Pumpkin Patch, the shop in Touchwood? It's like a baby shop. Be, being in there and having to choose an outfit mm. um, when everyone around you was obviously like ecstatic and mm. happy. And I, I hadn't even considered that. Mm. That's something which, which people go through. Yeah. To go back for, and it was on, on the weekend, and I was about to say how, you know, how, how was that weekend apart? So you went to Touchwood and, and you did that together. Yeah. You? And if you don't mind trying to discuss or, or remember or even talk between yourselves about your, your emotions during, during that weekend or during those two days before you went back yeah. into the hospital again. Polar opposites. Yeah, exactly. Right. Completely different. And I think that that is the first kind of clear difference between a man and a woman is they go straight away into like the emotion sides and it hits them. Whereas mm. I think because a lady knows what's coming, mm. I was more prepping for giving birth and labour and was right. just kind of focused on, right, I've got to get through this bit mm. before I can kind of start the next bit. Um, so I was more thinking about kind of, yeah, giving birth and what I was going to need and, yeah, buying things for her. Um, and I think you probably started... I, emotionally I, almost straight away I, I, I felt absolutely helpless mm. I felt like I'd failed as a man if I'm completely honest because I wasn't able to protect my own child I wasn't able to protect my wife I wasn't able to protect my family I wasn't able to do all that you think you're supposed to do as a male mm. basically um, we had close friends, family who, who came round to Amy's mum and dad's after We'd come back from the hospital on the Friday. Um, and at, at times, we were actually consoling yeah. them more than they were consoling us. Yeah. Um, All I really remember from that night is everyone coming and kind of us being the ones that were kind of like greeting people at the door yeah. and them sobbing and us being the... So that's quite a turnaround forward. then, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, you were yeah. consoling... <clears throat> it was weird. Probably the one main memory is looking around the room and seeing all of our family kind of absolutely sobbing and distraught and just thinking, oh, I've caused this. It's my fault that all these people are upset. And that's kind of the main thing. I was literally not but emotional even though myself. you know it's not. It's, I know now, yeah. but yeah, that was one of the biggest feelings mm. in the early days was that feeling of responsibility. And again, straight away, I think that's the difference between the emotions that men and women have to deal yeah, with. Just jumping in there, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Crystal, Crystal felt exactly, exactly that. Yeah. She, she, um, she felt, you know, for a long time that... that it was her fault, you know. Her body had let her yeah, down, yeah. and things like this, and and there's nothing You've really. you all that pain. Yeah, to else. there's nothing really you can say to your partner at that point to kind of change their minds because you know that's the difference between yeah, you're right between men and women because women are. It's it's the same, isn't it? When you have a child, like it, the, the man's life to a point don't really change. No. Let's face it, like we can st we can sleep. In, right up until our last minute, it's true, though. And then, like, you know, Crystal, as with both pregnancies, like, struggled sleeping towards the end. I'm, like, lying now, not really helping because mm. I can just chill and just relax, whereas she's, you know, mm. as you said, preparing. And then she get as you, as you said, she literally just, just kept blaming herself and saying, and you, you can't, you, you can't say anything, you can't, you can't no. say anything and I think to in hindsight, you know that. You know that guilt is one of the biggest feelings that comes yeah. with grief. But when you're feeling it, and I think it's one of the hardest emotions for other people to watch because they want you to just forget it. They're kind of like, of course it's not your fault. Of course it's not your fault. Don't feel guilty. But that doesn't erase it. Mm -hmm. You need someone to just sit with it and be like, yeah, it's quite normal to feel like this. It's normal that you feel yeah. that guilt. 
Whereas, yes, rationally, I knew it was nothing to do with me, but I couldn't help but feel like that. One topic which crops up time and time again with pretty much every guest that we've spoken to are those feelings of guilt, as Amy just alluded to there in that clip when she came on with Ryan from the Lily Mae Foundation. And once again, it was a topic that we discussed in the first episode of Series 3 with our guest Nathan Ellis, who then became a regular guest uh, throughout the rest of the series. Actually, for me, in the aftermath of it all, it was it was the guilt that was the worst. So when when he was passed to me, I remember the bereavement midwife asking a, a very reasonable question, and, and she was incredible, as I said. And she asked me if I was okay, and I said, "No, I'm, I'm not okay." Mm. And I and I, I verbalised that that look, I, I just want him to die now. And I said to Ryan, "I know exactly why I said it because I knew what the outcome was going to be, and I, yeah. and I was in pain. I was struggling to comprehend why Flick deserved to." to go through that so the so the pain of that was just was just tough it was i just wanted her pain to end i wanted mine to end selfishly as well you wanted it you wanted it to go away yeah and I, and and then the, the toughest part after that i think was was leaving them both there um obviously i stayed until until carter took his last breath um that i i then had to go home and pick leo up and mm. you've know, just gone from this really highly charged emotional situation which Clearly, I'm still thinking about, but now I've got to go home and look after my two-year-old. I know Nathan wouldn't mind me saying that I think Nathan was very apprehensive to start with when he came to um, to see me for his first session. I wouldn't say he probably thought he was going to get out of it what he did actually get out of it in the end. Mate, not necessarily the first session, but over a couple and then... Also, what he's gone on to, you know, do with us as a charity and so forth. But I think the one thing that Nathan's always been really good at, right from the start, he's actually been really open. Um, he he was he was very open in what he said um, and wasn't afraid to be open in what he said and wanted to know if the sort of feelings that he um, was going through and and the guilt and things like that was, was normal. Um, and ultimately it is normal because, you know, that is part of the grieving process. And, you know, one thing that Nathan did very well is he embraced the opportunity to be able to talk um, and to be able to be open in his emotions, which is, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons, sorry, why we do the podcast, because we're trying to get men to talk. And do you know what, if you could put it, if, if you could put that into a, if you could put what Nathan did in those sessions um, and what he continues to do, you know, when I speak to him and things like that, and you could bottle it up and hand it out to men, it would actually be the perfect tonic really in regard to the ability to be able to be open and talk about how you're actually feeling. If you're brand new to the podcast and you'd like to find out some more information or even speak to Amy or Ryan or somebody from the Lily Mae Foundation, just check the link in the description to this and you'll find all the details on how you can reach out and get in touch. Another guest we had on in Series 3 from Hales Owen was Adam Horan, who came on to speak about his bereavement journey and how he went about it working in a pretty male-dominated environment and one where he's expected to be the happy person. For the past 10 years, I've been working on the rail. I had a, a big opportunity yeah, opportunity to become the induction presenter for HS2. So, oh, wow. I bet you got a lot of questions to answer then. Yeah, so anyone that... <laughs> got one here. Um, yeah. Is it ever going to be finished? Yes, because now I want it. 
Good answer. Good answer. We like that. Uh, the reason why I'm asking, obviously, um, as I just alluded to before, we were talking before we went on air tonight about some of the things we'd like to discuss with you. And one of the things that were, was uh, of interest to you was the pressures about returning to work. Mine's a bit of a, a tricky one. I don't need an arm put around me at work. I know what I'm doing. I know how to manage people. I know how to do things. But like, there was a director at my work who's gone through yeah. similar things, and he was brilliant. He was unbelievable. But it was three days, give Abaddon his space. That If he wants to go home early, because it's a very family-orientated company, so kids can come into work if you can't get sitters, stuff like that. Yeah, and okay. There was a couple of days where they brought in the young one. It set me off. I just left. And that, that happened for like three, four yeah. days. But after, after that three, four days, it was, okay, it's all forgotten. Go back to work. Do what we pay you here to do. And I was like, so if you gave me that extra three weeks that I asked for, um, I wouldn't be in a mindset where I'm coming back into an environment yeah. where I am struggling to just – Keep it. I hate saying this. A fake smile on my face. Like I, I'm a person that tells you how it is all the time, yeah. good or bad. But I knew it for this instance. I had to just keep that fake smile on, so I wouldn't lose my job, <laughs> pretty much. And it, it the work environment. I, I've lost the love for what I, I do now. Um, and luckily enough, I, over the years, I've. I've, I've made some great connections. I've made some great friends. Like I'm not saying my company is terrible because they are not. They they've helped me out as much as possible. And I know yeah. it's a tough one to decide. Not this. Does, it happens every day, but no one wants to. They don't think. But it's this is purely from your your emotional state at the time. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. there's no, there's no part of that which sounds like you're bashing the company at all. This nah. is how you're you're dealing with things. And but obviously, mm. it's, there's always that thin line, isn't there? Because there's that soulless sort of corporate side to business as well, which has to be done. But then there's there's you. You're the important thing. You and your family and your your emotions and your feelings. The only thing I, I can really say about my company is my CEO helped me. Without a doubt, he he gave me money. He didn't want me to even think that anything to do with money was a problem. He'd always help me. I had directors when I went back for that first week saying, "If you need, to, if you want to cry, I know I've never even heard you <laughs> cry or seen you cry, or no one's ever told me that you've cried. But if you yeah. want to come and use my office, and to hear them things was lovely. I think it yeah. was just the the weeks after that. It it's like I hate this term, man up." Right, I hate it. I and because the thing is, I always say to people, "Give me the definition of a man up." Mm. No one. Good I question. Could, Good question. I could, I could say, "Give me a definition of man up," and I guarantee, if you get it right, I'll give you all my life savings. But I'm going to say one thing before you say your definition. Give me the definition of woman up. If I said to some a, a woman, "Woman up," everyone would laugh at me. But. If you say to uh, man up, mm -hmm. it's a completely different thing. Now, in the rail industry, the biggest killer is mental health. Like in the last four years, there's been 1,400 deaths in suicide. 90% of that was male. The hard part for me is because I have to be all happy, cheerful. You want to be part of HS2. It's amazing. And I yeah, have to be that, yeah. that smile. Now, when I get to the mental health bit, luckily enough, a lot of the people that sit in front of me, I always say to them, can you tell me what? Uh, a face of mental health looks like they go yeah okay and i can say go on then what does it look like 
well, it looks sad. It looks this. It looks that. I'm like, wow. If you, I'm not being funny, yeah. but did, yeah. I say I always say to him, I say, did you know today I'm going through the worst time of my life? Yeah. And they go, don't believe it because I've made them laugh. I've made them enjoy themselves. Blah blah blah. And when it comes down to it, they're like, Adam's not going through the worst time of his life. I'm like, yes, I am. I said, I lost my son five months ago, but I still have to come in here and make you yeah. feel like you're having the best day of your life. I always feel like I'm going to cry every time I get to that point. Like every every session, I'm like, oh God, here it comes. I've got to say, I'm I'm just going to cry in front of 50 tough enough guys and that's it. I'm going to run out. <laughs> what's, if you don't mind me asking, what's, is it because it's something, it's really interesting, something we spoke about before and it's, you know, it's a well-spoken about topic actually those stereotypes especially now i think one of the guests that we had on if anyone remembers gary anderson who was the uh the geordie who was living in birmingham he used to be a bit of a gangster back in the day and part of the thing it was um i think he was in his 50s and it was from that world with the way he was raised and you man up be a man and it's and i don't think it happens as much these you know definitely moving a step in the right direction but even then when you were saying because it, it, an amazing thing, what you said is, what does that that face look like? And mm. it's not that case, is it? Because people mm. will maybe hide behind that mental mask. Maybe they're putting on a, a sense of humor or they're trying to be jolly and they don't want to admit to it because it's men being men and we don't want to, yeah. you know, show those emotions. So, you know, what stopped you? Can you remember a reason that you stopped yourself crying in that situation? Was it because of those oh. social conventions? The sole reason is after Oscar passed, after he passed, I came to terms with, like, I, I've been in the Royal Navy. I've been in one of the toughest industries in the world, the rail. Like, it's in the what top four most dangerous jobs in Britain, yeah. top six in the world. And you think, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Like, and when Oscar passed, that was my mentality. Like, I stand in front of these 50 big guys that always, like, trying to take the mick out of people. And I'm like, what? Well, what are you going to say to me that makes me feel worse about what I'm going through? If you tell me to man up, I'll say some of the stories that I've been through, I guarantee you wouldn't even come close to going to them. Exactly. So please don't ever use them words, Mm. use them words. And you have lost my respect forever. I've only met a couple of you once or twice before, but I know I can sit here any, any day of the week and call you up or go in the group chat or anything like that and say, lads, I'm having a bit of a bad day. Do you mind if I give you a call? Now, if you go back about four years ago, not many people would have that, men would have that mindset to do that. That's what I try and put into these people mm. every single day. You're going into a dangerous environment. You're going into one of the most dangerous environments you'll ever go into. So if there's something else on your mind that can affect that, just talk to someone. I won't judge you for anything. The only time I'll ever intervene is if you're a risk of your own health. Apart from that, tell me what you want. Another first for us on this series of the Still Parents podcast was the opportunity to get the perspective and the viewpoint from a grandparent on how they can offer support and help their family and their children whilst they're going through bereavement. While, of course, going through the loss of their own grandchild. And for this, we spoke to Jeff Heaps. Now, Jeff is the father of Amy Jackson. So, of course, well known to many of the listeners of the podcast and anyone who's been to the Lily Mae Foundation's events. And Jeff gave a fascinating insight into his own journey helping Amy and Ryan and also how he dealt with it himself. To start off with losing Lily Mae. And I think having talked to grandparents, because we have a, a dads and granddads group 
and we have met on a number of occasions. We've done activities, and there have been grandparents there. And I think what granddads have been saying, it's it's a double whammy, it's a double hit. Mm. All parents want to protect their children, want to protect their children from harm, don't want anything nasty to happen to their children, and you'll go out of your way to prevent that. So when um, Lily died, it was I was a failure. I had failed Amy. I, ha- I was guilty. I did not protect her from this terrible, awful thing that hit us as a family. And then at the same time, whilst you're feeling guilty, you're feeling a failure because you've not protected your own child from this horrible, devastating thing that happened, I'd also lost a grandchild. And Lily was my third grandchild. So I was well into grandchildren. I knew what grandchildren meant. Um, And we were saying earlier, you know, I think most grandparents would die for their children, but you'd die twice or more times for your grandchild because it's a different sort of relationship. So I think talking to lots of granddads, they very much felt as I did that, you know, you're an abject failure. You could not prevent this from happening. People of my generation, I think, especially, especially men, are were designed not to show emotion. And I was talking earlier about, you know, the death of my father when I was 10. Mm. And I was, the, uh, I was the eldest of four. And I was told by my grandparents and my family, you're the man of the family now, so you've got to stand up. And I think that really has had an impact on me and mm. has an impact on, on lots of people of my age because, you know, men don't show emotion. Yeah. You're there, you're there to do the practical things. I'm not a hugger. I can't hug, I'm embarrassed to hug. I don't kiss. It embarrasses me. And I think that's probably another generational thing. So when all this happened, how did I help? I did all the practical things. Right. I, helped, I helped with the funeral. I helped plan it. Uh, I helped run around. I helped do meals. I helped just being there, looking after Alfie, who was two and a bit, nearly three at the time when it happened. So I just threw myself into doing the practical things. And I really resent that now, that I couldn't hug. I couldn't hug Amy or Ryan. Because I don't do it. And was that sp- an emotion you were battling with at the time? Were you because you were wary of this, or was it like even though it's, it's with, with with family members and it's just I understand how you know that feeling of just doing something that feels so unnatural, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so was that something you was you were wrestling with, or you, you just you probably came like, probably came later. Right, okay. It did get me when we were at Lily's funeral and there was a final goodbye. She was going, you know, the curtains were going to draw. And I think that was about the first time I've ever hugged Amy since she was a baby. Um, in terms of Amy was upset and, and went towards went towards a little coffin before before it disappeared into the crematorium. And I think I hugged her and said, "It's okay. She's not there. She's gone." Yeah, and I regret it. I yeah. really do. I'm speaking to lots of granddads, I very much felt that they they felt yeah. the same. It, it it it's really hard. I think it might maybe goes back to what you were saying a couple of minutes ago. It might have been, obviously, we're, we're generalising to a degree, but there is those stereotypes you were mentioning mm-hmm. from before and the fact that uh, you, you lost your father when you were 10 and it may have even have been just a, you know, sometimes you hear these things as like a flippant comment, mm-hmm. but I, I, I sense it was meant in a serious way. It's like you're yeah. the man of the house now. Was that something that you felt as a 10-year-old that you oh, can, yeah. obviously, it's harder to comprehend at that age because it's something you need with hindsight to look back on it and, and see what effect that had on you and how that then had an effect with how it reacted with you and Ryan and with Amy after, after the loss of Lily May. Yeah, I mean, as a 10-year-old, we, you know, we didn't know my dad had died. I didn't know my dad had died until I was 11 because we weren't allowed to the funeral. Nobody talked about it. I was told that he was gone away. So I can remember lying in bed every night yeah. 
with my siblings saying, don't worry, I'll wait up. And if he comes in, I'll, I'll, I'll wake up and I'll tell you. So it was only when I started secondary school, somebody came up to me and said, you're dad's dad. And then I went back and asked, what does this thing called death mean? But at that age, we weren't allowed. I didn't attend the funeral. Nobody talked about it. We knew something had happened, but all we mm. were told was he's gone away. Wow. I think around that age too. My oldest daughter, she, um, at that age now, and I think it's around, what, eight, nine, ten, where she's now very interested in finding out mm. about death and what happens and why, and it's, and why it's unfair, why can't everyone live forever, and, mm-hmm. and, and those, so just trying to process that information. Ryan, can I bring you in, How what you were going through at the time, and do you know about the, the hogging, and has, has Jeff ever kissed you? <laughs> Definitely not. No? Definitely not. Definitely not. No, he doesn't like Villa fans. Yeah. I've... I, wouldn't, I don't know, actually. I don't think I would ever have known that he wasn't a hugger. To me, Jeff was very much a man's man. Yeah. And you could tell the generation difference between okay. Jeff and me. And, and I could even tell the generation difference between my own my own dad and, and people who I knew of that yeah. sort of generation. But I think when it, it sort of uh, dawned on me that Jeff wasn't that type of person that would show that emotion to you as a person was when we did the very first golf day um, and I actually I don't know if he did go out of his way to actually do this but I remember him coming up to me probably I don't know three quarters of the way through the night bearing in mind he'd probably had a skin full of Carlin at the same time <laughs> and actually shaking my hand you could see it was all there was almost something there that that was that really wanted to come out yeah. but it didn't come out felt was, but you yeah. knew what what he meant you know, Jeff said there he, he was a doer and, and, you know, for the for all the years that myself and Amy have been together, both before marriage and, and since we've been married, that's absolutely right. Jeff is a doer. He'd do anything for absolutely anyone. And I think that's where... Can you give me a hug? <laughs> I'll give you... Oh, no, I've already done that. Sorry. <laughs> but um, Jeff, is very much that person that he wanted to... He, yeah. If he could reach in and take all of that pain away yeah. and take it himself, he's that sort of person he would do that. You know, not necessarily... I don't I don't think myself and Amy... Or I can't speak on behalf of Amy, but from her father perspective, I didn't really need the hugging type thing from Jeff. Yeah. I know he's my father-in-law, but... That doesn't. It, it wasn't for me. It was more the fact I knew. Yeah, the support I knew comes it in different there. ways. Yeah, yeah there's so, different support yeah. in different ways, and you do. You have the the people that the huggers, the you know the physical mm. sort of support and stuff, and then you have the people that you know give you that emotional support. Mm. Don't have to say a lot, but just speak being, speak with their actions more so than with their words. It, sometimes it's just being there, isn't it? Just being absolutely. To and it's not as if to. I don't come. I come from a large, yeah. very close knit family who do hug. But I don't know whether it was that thing I was told when I was 10. You're the man of the house now. You've got to make sure everything's okay. So it wasn't the right okay, lock. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But I really hard. Um, yeah. Amy's youngest, uh, Amy, Ryan's youngest daughter, uh, Bobby, um, she was in bed the other night. And um, we have this thing that I don't kiss them, but we shake hands and we shake hands violently. And we, we have the... <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Let's just put a disclaimer in there very quickly. It's not um, abuse, shall we say. It's the wrong thing. <laughs> not, not violently. Yeah. So, so we shake hands and we make their shoulders wobble. And I always say, uh, shake the hand that shook the world. I think it's something from John L. Sullivan, the Irish okay. boxer. I think he said something like that. 
what advice would you give to grandparents who are listening and to watching this who are just going through this process and they're supporting their family and you know where do you start with that i think they have to support in any way shape that they can any way that they're comfortable with and for me kissing and hugging wasn't comfortable and i think that that is quite and that's it it's quite a generational yeah. thing you know i'm 70 yeah. and that didn't happen in my day yeah. the fact that you know children weren't told that parents had died you weren't certainly involved in 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 any funerals there was no closure uh, i think that's again a, a generational thing but like you say you're there with the, with the practical side of things and obviously that's needed you know that's um yeah, that, that's how i engage and i think yeah. ryan was the same i think when when Livy died, Ryan threw himself into the golf day. Livy died in the February. By the April, he'd organised a, a golf day yeah. involving a couple of hundred people, raising you know a substantial right, yeah. amount of money. Um, yeah, which we spoke about last week. And yeah. you went to Germany, wasn't it? And then stayed, I think, w- w- with you for they stayed a couple with of weeks us for it? a few weeks. Yeah, I mean that was us yeah. offering that practical support. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. But if, if my family are listening to this, it's nothing to do with my family. My family. <laughs> Are very close, close knit. Got a lot of disclaimers tonight, haven't we? Got, got a huge, big family. Yeah, there's a disclaimer. And if they ever listen, but they all hug and kiss. Just, you're going to get so many it. hugs off your family. I'm going to hug you on the way out. Yeah, I want to hug you now. No, I, I wouldn't do it. I just, Bear I, hug. I, I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. We enjoyed having Jeff on for a number of reasons. One, it was brilliant to get the perspective and the insight coming from the view of a grandparent and also just Jeff in general. I think it was the first time he's been in a studio and he just had an important question before the microphones went live. The, the very first thing that got said, actually, thankfully <laughs> the microphones weren't live at the time, who <laughs> was just inquiring about what happens if you need to uh, cough or... You didn't say spit, did you? Did sneeze. I make... <laughs> I said sneeze. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have to go outside? Yeah, I mean, just yeah, just general no spitting rule on this podcast, and I'll, I'll try to remember. That. Oh, quite good. <laughs> One thing that I've noticed during our three series that we've done so far is that although obviously due to the nature of the podcast, things can be very serious. Uh, it can get quite low. It can be dark in places, but you'd expect that, and we wouldn't be doing our job properly if we didn't have those moments. But of course, at the end of the day, we're still just a bunch of guys, which means at some point we do get immature, a bit silly, and like to have a bit of fun now and again. It's been a lonely couple of years. And it's being able to do this. We all went to the German market. Oh, me and Ryan did. You you backed out, didn't you? Backed out. Um, Matt wasn't allowed. He was scared. He wasn't allowed. He wasn't allowed. (laughs) He was grounded. (laughs) It's nice to get out and talk for a couple of hours, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was, even though I don't remember walking home. But yeah, it was nice to be able to... Yeah, I felt a lot better the next day than Ryan did anyway. I I bet you did as well, mate. um, You know know when you've been out and you know when you go on a night out and you're the last one to arrive and and as soon as you get there, you go, oh, everyone's already drunk. Dan was late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan uh, was late. Um, Surprises me. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, your husband went, I've had eight beers. <laughs> no, no I didn't. <laughs> his inability to speak at 11 o'clock, uh, uh, he uh, did it himself. But, you know, it's, it's, it's good for the soul. You know, it's not the sort of thing you're going to be doing every single day. This is the first time I've been there in three years. And it was the first time that I've been hanging out with these guys and I've not been covered in mud and piss and shit (laughs) sorry for anyone who's not watched this before we don't have a weird fetish (laughs) Uh, we've been doing this event called the wolf run every uh, in fact everyone in this room's done it even Simon has taken the photos and Amy got involved in the one just around the corner from here Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun so I mean it's good any just connecting via 
you know. Do we use the word fun? Or do we? I mean, I'm going through the lake with my ankles nearly falling off. That's not fun. I was I've never heard anyone moan one. so much no, in cold right, water. Come on, man, you don't know the pain. Honestly, the pain. I enjoyed it. Pain. I enjoyed it. Literally 100 metres in and Matt goes, ah, oh, my legs. No, genuine, the pain <laughs> is ridiculous. No, honestly. We didn't notice at the time, but this started a trend that regular podcast guest Matt Whitehouse does like to complain his legs are hurting or anything. It's bizarre because we were out yesterday afternoon and um, I've, I've absolutely no idea why this started to happen, but for some reason my legs started to hurt. Matt couldn't do one because he had a scab yeah. on his leg. I filled in for Matt because I got a call from Ryan saying, do you want to fancy doing the wolf run? Because Matt scratched his leg. I ain't saying nothing. I ain't saying nothing. Okay. All right. <laughs> sounds, like a guilty, sounds like a guilty conscience to me, doesn't it? The, the bit I struggled with was the high ropes. Absolutely no <laughs> chance. As soon as I get above... My head height, that's me done. There's an irony there. You've not met Matt, he's seven foot eight and he's scared of height. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> he gets out of bed in the morning and he goes, whoa. <laughs> gets a nosebleed standing up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's just a guy thing, but if you can have a bit of banter in and amongst some of the darkest conversations of your life, I think that's a good sign that you've got a good support network and the right people around you. And just remember, you can reach out to those people anytime. Don't suffer on your own if you are struggling. Uh, This is what we're here for. And there are many, many other resources out there for you too. Thank you very much for listening. We hope that you'll be back for our new series, which starts on Sunday, February the 6th. We'll be live on Facebook from 8 o'clock, but of course you can listen back to that episode and any of our episodes that we've done over the last 18 months so far, whenever you need to. Thank you very much, and we will see and speak to you very soon.